Hello, ladies, and welcome back to another episode of Celebrate You. Woohoo! So, <laughs> today we have an impressive woman with us. Uh, so, her name is Tiffany Tong. And, Tiffany, before I go into you, ladies, let me tell you a little bit about Tiffany. Tiffany is a serial entrepreneur. B, she's based in Nepal, building a fintech startup that is properly having real impact in women who need solutions. So I love that about her. And like her co-founder, it's another woman. So it's like a women-founded company, which is amazing. And uh, she's a serial entrepreneur. She started her journey in entrepreneurship in 2013. She's worked for the World Bank. She then became a resident advisor for the World Bank. Like their current startup, Alloy, like they've won like Asia Agritech Challenge 2020 grand winner number one. Like she is like pro. <laughs> so it's going to be a very interesting episode. So, Tiffany, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Thank How you, you so today? much, Monica. Very good. Um, super excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, let's start with the basics, of course. So, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yes, for sure. Um, well, it started a long time ago. I... Uh, when I was a child, I moved to Canada when I was four. Um, and then when I was eight, I moved back to Hong Kong. So I was born in Hong Kong. Um, and that gave me a lot of perspective in different cultures. And I've been fascinated with different cultures and, and how different people live in very different ways uh, throughout my life. And I think that's what led me to uh, join an exchange program when I was in university. And it was the first time uh, I, I went to Norway and I lived there for six months. And then I went to Uganda and Tanzania and I lived there for four months. Um, and that started my whole journey in international development. And since then, I've been uh, in Africa for about 10 years. And then I moved to Nepal when I met my current co-founder. Cool. I'm like, it's such a diverse story. Uh, it's like, I have so many questions in my mind, <laughs> but given that you just mentioned, uh, your co-founder, let's start with the foundations. Uh, why did you start Alloy? And then how did you meet Sonica, your co-founder? Yeah, for sure. So Alloy, the very seed of the idea of Alloy came when I was working in Africa and I was working with um, data and also agriculture projects. And I just saw many ways that we could make that process more centered on the actual user, the experience of the user, um, and also using technology, right? Even like technology, but in a very um, simple way so that everyone can access it. So that was the seed of Alloy. Um, and then when I met my co-founder, Sonica, um, we were at the Singularity University program in Silicon Valley. And it was four months. It was super intensive. We were learning about all these exponential technologies and how they were going to change the world. But what really connected the two of us was we were wondering, you know, what is the impact of these technologies on the people that we care the most about um, and parts of the world that we care the most about. Um, 
And then how can we harness these technologies for good, essentially? Um, how do we mitigate those impacts um, and build a better world together? So that's what really draw, drew us together. Um, and then from there, we had a space to start a small startup. Um, we actually started the first version of Alloy as something very, very different. Um, and then slowly over the years, we pivoted into Alloy. Awesome. You know, what, like what I love about how you, I guess, like portray yourself, it's like you, like you're in LinkedIn. It's not I'm an entrepreneur. And based on what you just said, it's like it's not an entrepreneur. It's like you're an impact entrepreneur. And I love that. And basically what you just said now, it's like it's not just using technology, but it's using technology to have impact in people that need it the most. Absolutely. To be honest, in my first startup, uh, it was back in 2013 in Tanzania. It took me a year before I could call myself an entrepreneur because growing up, I just never thought about it. I was much more of a social activist. Um, I was much more um, just trying to understand the world. And I was really into development work, um, just trying to understand the world that way and see if I can help. Right. So the word entrepreneur, really, I never grew up with that concept of me being that one day. Um, but then when I was introduced to the concept of social entrepreneurship and how many people are really looking at different ways of using um, the benefits of uh, entrepreneurship to solve social problems, I was really attracted to that. So yeah, <laughs> it's been a long journey to change my own mindset, to be honest. Yes, I was going to ask that. It's like, what was the change in mindset? Because I think many of us have that challenge as well, that it's, uh, oh, am I an entrepreneur? Yes, no, why? What makes an entrepreneur? People think like, oh, yeah, I'm the founder of Facebook. Then I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> but that's not yeah. the case. No, I mean, it's such a wide definition, right? Um, so there's two ways I, I love uh in my within myself defining the word entrepreneur um, and one is what I read from someone and it's about uh, someone who just tries to make what they want happen regardless of how many resources they have right now so they just you know they just start essentially um, and they see a way that they want to move um, and they find ways to get there and then the second one I thought a lot about because I'm often asked, what is innovation? What do innovators do? Um, and uh, my, my definition of that is innovators simply see the world in a different way. And I think we see the world in a particular perspective. And then we try to find the evidence to prove to everyone else that this perspective might just work in making the world better. I love those two definitions. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like innovation is having a perspective different to what's currently out there as simple as that <laughs> it is it's very simple and i think it, innovations can be anything right you could be just walking along the street and i often play this game with myself actually i see a shop and i'm like oh if i had that shop what would i sell there you know like how would i improve on currently what they're selling um or any anything else like i see a playground and i'm like oh what other what other structures could be here to make it fun for kids you know so i think it's really simply that Hmm. I love that. You're kind of like improving what's out there and solving problems. Yeah, basically. Or I try. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we all do. Um, so tell us a little bit about Alloy and the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alloy, so we are a fintech social enterprise based in Nepal. 
um, our main goal is to help grassroots micro-entrepreneurs um, that are usually in the informal sector access more affordable financing. And the way we do that is we've built this Loan Insight software. Um, and this software helps make sure that the loans are tracked more um, and it's almost like an automatic audit and therefore it helps to decrease the loan de decrease the risk of the loans um, and also increase the digital footprints of the borrowers and well you and i and sonica we met because uh you were part of of the uncdf kind of fintech mentoring program and i was one of the mentors and one of the things that so you and I, I mean, like we had like more in-depth conversations about the work that you do. And one of the things that really caught my attention was your customers, the type of customers that you serve. Because most of the fintechs that people talk about these days, it's like, oh, the big tech for the big millennials. You know, it's like, oh, let's capture, let's capture this audience and make their financial lives easier. Yes. And that's a very good mission. Uh, but the target uh, audience that you're helping, it has a very different profile. And they are in need of, your, of solutions like yours. Absolutely. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think the statistic that really um, bothers me a lot is there's still 2 billion people in the world that are financially excluded. Essentially, they have no way of accessing um, any financial services at all. Even in today with like apps everywhere, um, you know, microfinances everywhere. So we have all these innovations in financing, but there's still two billion people. Um, and to me, these two billion people and amongst them, there must be brilliant entrepreneurs there that are just not being able to find the financing that they need. And to me, they're also the ones that will serve people around them the best, right? Like they're going to be the entrepreneurs that will provide the services that people around them want and will buy um, and will improve their lives. So that's the biggest challenge for us is trying to make sure that we get financing to that level. And we truly believe it's possible now with technology to scale. Like, you know, if you have to do paperwork, a $50 loan is just too much to handle, right? Like the, the administration and the monitoring uh, and the compliance, all of that um, cost is just too high. But with technology and if you can build everything automatically, it means that it almost tends towards zero, that cost. So, so uh, we see a huge opportunity in serving those 2 billion people. Awesome. Can you describe like how does that customer look like? And can you describe like a female persona, just to be more Absolutely. specific? Yeah. yeah. I was just going to start with the female <laughs> persona. Yes. Because actually, right now, um, our company only works with female um, micro-entrepreneurs um, and through female-only uh, microfinance organizations. And that's very deliberate because we wanted to design first for female users um, because so often fintech is designed with the normal male, you know, stereotype in mind um, and, and then adapted for female users. So uh, to describe them, um, for example, we work with uh, women farmers. So they're, uh, they might have just taken a beekeeping course um, and want to buy the equipment and the bees 
uh, to help them start their business. Um, and they just needed that investment. So uh, they have the knowledge, they have people around them, um, uh, especially government and government extension agents that can go out and teach them how to do this stuff. But they might not have the the income proof um, because they've never been in formal employment. They might not have any uh, assets such as land or houses because of how ownership of assets are normally um, in, in some places um, uh, owned by males. So they don't have access to these things that they can go to a, a microfinance place and say, hey, just give me a loan. I know how to do all this. I can grow this business. So um, those are the customers that we really have in our mind when we're designing our product. And when we're field testing, we're actively um, making sure that we include a wider range of, of users. Awesome. Yes. And I think like as you speak, I'm thinking like, yeah, that's a segment that's not actively thought through in the traditional, let's say traditional fintechs, because we just focus on millennials and many times it is conscious or unconscious bias uh, towards sometimes a male persona or just management team. It tends to be dominantly male. So that also like conscious or unconscious bias, it happens. Absolutely. And we're very aware of that unconscious bias, right? Even within ourselves, like, you know, uh, being very aware of this, these issues, we have unconscious biases and that's why, we try to, our majority of our team is female, our project managers are female, you know. Um, when we go out, we start with these allies in the female-focused um, microfinances so that we can overcome those unconscious biases. I mean, ultimately, we're trying to design a product that's useful for everyone, right? The two billion people. But um, yeah. to start off, we want to design for the ones that are most marginalized right now. And actually, I think that actually makes us a better product to to move forward with the two billion. Um, and part of that, a very simple yeah. part is that we actually could have built an app quite easily, <laughs> especially my co-founder, she's CTO, she's built apps at the Microsoft Innovation Center in Nepal for a very long time, you know. So, but we made the very deliberate decision to start with SMS um, and, you, and move into USSD because this is technology that every single simple feature phone can use. And even if you don't have that, you can borrow a phone and get a SIM card and use it, right? So um, we just tried to design for the very um, uh, accessible technology that is available everywhere. At the same time, yeah. we're building our backend with blockchain, you know, so that we're connecting them directly to the latest technologies so that we can build that pipeline. Essentially, I think of it as an on-ramp to a highway. So, you know, it's a it's essentially a highway that's moving forward in, fin in financial services into the future. And we need to build that on-ramp for the 2 billion people. Yeah. Why did you choose Nepal out of all the countries in the world? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I've actually always been interested in Nepal. Um, when I was in university, I actually wanted to go on exchange there. Unfortunately, they canceled the program before I could go. Um, that's one yeah. thing. So actually, when I met Sonica, she is from Nepal um, uh, in the U.S., uh, in 2017, I was like, oh, <laughs> I would love to come visit you one day. <laughs> um, so that was that was part of it. But also very strategically, Nepal is, um, I think they call it the Silicon Valley in the Himalayas, essentially. Uh, I think there's 
a lot of tech talent there um, and, and Sonico is very much involved in that sector. That's one thing. Um, and it's also uh, a very, I think the microfinance industry there is very much um, active um, and it's a very, very good um, place for us to build up our tech and to user test it and to make sure everything's good before we scale it further. Yes. Are you planning to scale into other markets? Yes, absolutely. Actually, we recently had a conversation with someone that was very interested in the tech um, in Mozambique. Um, and then so we might we might be moving there. We don't know. Um, and there is another uh, uh, um, contact that potentially could be in, in Kenya. So there's lots and lots of places for us to um, figure out places that have the same pain points in relation to financial inclusion um, and be able to scale our technology there. Amazing. And you just used a very important word, financial inclusion. Yes. Can you share with us your thoughts about A, what is it? And then B, how do we tackle the problem? Absolutely. Um, I mean, financial inclusion is very simply um, having access to financial services that are suitable for you. Um, and as I mentioned before, two billion people in the world do not have this. Um, and I, I think uh, the way we can tackle it is there's no one silver bullet to me. There's so many different things. People need to get proper IDs. You know, people, um, as they come more and more online, we need to be able to find ways to parse that data and create alternative credit scores, which lots of people are doing. Um, from Alloy's angle, how we try to approach this problem is we're saying, well, alternative credit scores and all of that uh, requires um, a certain level of privilege already, to be honest. Like you might need to have access to data, you know, to mobile data and to a, to a good phone. Um, you might need to also be able to prove your identity um, and to even form a microfinance group, like, and to have collateral and to have like maybe an educational background. So all of that um, is certain levels of privilege already. And so what we thought is, how can we find a method that we can actually prove someone's entrepreneurial ability and their willingness to be a good entrepreneur just through the actions that they do with the loans? And that is what Alloy is doing. So essentially, we're a digital loan product. We help microfinances disperse their loans digitally in the form of an SMS sent. Um, and then the borrowers, they take this digital loan and they spend it at an ecosystem of accredited vendors. So, for example, you take a livestock loan and you can only spend it at livestock related vendors. Yeah. And which means yeah. we help keep the money within that ecosystem. Right. Yes. So essentially what they're doing is they're proving they're a good entrepreneur by following their business plan, buying the inputs they need um, and then growing their business that way um, and proving that they won't spend the money elsewhere, essentially. So that's our approach to financial inclusion is we want to find yet another way to increase those data points for these uh, excluded uh, 2 billion uh, to, to help them prove that they're good entrepreneurs. Awesome. I'm like, that is so interesting. And yet what you said about like having, just having a credit score, that's like privilege by now. I'm like, oh, I've never even thought about it like that. But yes, there's two billion people who don't have anything. That's a lot of people. 
Yeah, that's like, a lot, a of, lot of That's a lot of people. And many of those people, of course, are going to be women. Yes. Uh, yeah. And what's your view on what is the impact on a women's day-to-day -day life of not having access to financial services? I think it's it's very much um, tied to everything in their everyday life, right? Um, because there's often not formal employment opportunities in the places that uh, the two billion, especially for women, live. So that means they have to create their own jobs. Um, that means mm. that they need capital to create jobs that also suit their um, demands. So, for example, women in many traditional societies, uh, they have the major burden of the care work at home. Um, mm -hmm. And they have a lot of norms of what they need to do uh, in, in terms of taking care of everyone, making the food, washing the clothes, getting the water. Um, so all of yeah. that, we need to help them find ways to build, um, if they want, to build enterprises around their lifestyle and the demands that the community already has on them. Of course, mm. other people are trying to change those norms, but one way to help change those norms is that to have access to finance to prove that they can actually er earn extra income and perhaps their time could also be used on other things than just care work. So I think um, there's never one way to solve all these problems, but to us, one way is helping to have financial access, means meaning to have more freedom to dream and to build and to, to figure out a lifestyle that works for them and their aspirations. Yes, I totally agree with that because at the end of the day, money for anyone, regardless of man, woman, age, nationality, status, money at the end, in my view, it's that it's it's a tool that enables you to create the life that you want to create and you can dream and then just like use that as an enabler. So it's kind of unfair that some of us have access to that enabler. Well, others don't even have a bank account, not even credit, just a bank account. For sure. Like to save, I heard someone the other day, um, I think they were a startup in, in Nigeria. They said just to save, the women have to essentially give up 3% of their savings just to save <laughs> because their cost um, to keeping the money safe and, and all of that. Right. So so um, they actually have to pay a fee and not earn interest like let alone that oh. but they have to pay a fee to save you know so you can imagine how hard it is to actually provide good service um, and to have access to good financial services that many in the world take for granted yes and and i think that's the key point like we take it for granted like and even things like going to school you know like we take that for granted but in some places well if access to a bank is not the norm then it makes me wonder what else is not the norm for those two billion people. And probably that opens up to a very wide range of topics and social problems. Absolutely. And, you know, again, we can't solve everything at once, no. but we can solve a small corner of it using the way we know best and what we do. And that actually relates to a, a, a personal story. When I was a kid, uh, we moved to Canada when I was four um, and I, Remember, my parents, because they had to build up their credit scores all over again, essentially, um, they weren't able to get a loan to start their businesses. So um, 
my parents are both um, civil engineers, actually, but their education qualifications were not recognized at that time um, in a new country. Um, and so they had to work below minimum wage jobs um, just to get by until I remember they got a loan and they were able to start a company um, and they were able to use their skills again. So to me, that that just represents everything, right? Like you have people who are willing to start businesses, people who are, you know, um, eager to make a better life for themselves. But just because they cannot prove themselves within a new system, um, it means that they have much less ways to use their full skills to their full extent. So I think that's that's super important in terms of making sure that we um, find ways to give people opportunities to really grow um, and to, to use their skills to the full extent. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, if we come back to you and your journey, what, like, well, I don't, I don't know what's been like your experiences two female founders. Yeah, can you share anything about that? Have you faced any different treatment, positive or negative? Like, yeah, what's been your experience? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really complicated question. And I... Um, <laughs> well, that says a lot on its own. <laughs> already, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely has its really highs and really lows, right? Um, we are two female founders, so we tend to stand out, especially in, a, in an industry that is very often um, male dominated. So there are a lot of people who also really want to be on our side. So they want to come and yeah. help, um, you know, mentors such as yourself. Um, and also uh, in competitions, like people would, would pay extra attention, essentially. So that's really lovely. But on the other hand, like the um there's definitely still bias um and and we we face whether it's microaggressions or outright aggressions like uh we oh. we we hear that um sometimes we face that um and i i'm thinking of one particular incident when my co-founder recently went out to even just simply getting some new new um uh computers and tablets for the company like she had a hard time with with the shopkeeper there because they just couldn't believe that she was coming um, and buying so many things <laughs> um, uh, and they just thought her she was like a new employee and she also looks really young I think that's part of it so um, yeah. they just thought she was an employee and couldn't make decisions and she had a hard time um, uh, uh, even just buying the things even though we had the money <laughs> to go and buy it right like so very simple things like that I remember when we got incorporated our lawyer wouldn't believe that we were running a business so he oh. kept saying we should register as an NGO. Um, and my co-founder, uh, Sonica, she spent, I think, two hours sitting there just like convincing him and like telling him again and again, we have a business model. Like, this is how we're going to scale. This is how we're going to do it. And in the end, after the two hours, he's like, oh, yeah, this is actually really needed. But I really believe if we were two men walking in there, um, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, we would have, yes. it would have been 30 minutes and the discussion would have been Just done. to go through the facts. Yes, that is absolutely mind blowing. Like I would never imagine that happening. Like no, as simple I... as getting incorporated and then being challenged by the lawyer who's helping you that you've hired yeah. uh, to do the job, kind of like challenging why? That is like crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, it is crazy. Like to me, from the perspective of of uh, you know a foreigner, I guess um, in that situation, I was like, why we just you know you took this business? <laughs> why are you trying to change what we're trying to tell you? Um, but I, you know, Sonica took it all in stride, and I I think it's because she's like so used to dealing with this. Mm. Um, oh. She has worked in tech uh, for a very long time um, in Nepal, and one of the first female tech, um, uh, like really, uh, um, people who who push forward the sector. So, yeah, I I really <laughs> I really think that she has gained so much skills in that because of it. And I mean, for me, I'm more used to being like the only female in the room or the only person that looks a little bit different in the room. Um, and, um, you know, I've definitely been in a lot of meetings where like the whole round table was like male bosses and male counterparts mm. um, and it's just me. Um, but um, to start again in terms of like being a small entrepreneur and having to convince everyone um, to believe you is really another level. Wow. Like, I have so many questions about you and your mindsets and your emotions. That is not easy. <laughs> what, like, when you're in those meeting rooms, like, with only men and you're the only woman in the room, and you and you mentioned that you do feel different, as in you acknowledge that you're like, oh, I'm the only one here. What's your mindset to deal with that? Because I think... Many women, we, we don't need to be uh, building a company like, like you as in being a founder, but since the beginning of my career in the banking industry, I felt that many, many times. So I think this is a very relevant co uh, topic for many women. Absolutely. And I would love to hear your stories. I can just imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I think my mindset also comes a lot from my upbringing. Um, since I moved around so much and, and was kind of a chameleon between different cultures, I would say, um, I, I've always kind of thrived at being the misfit in the room, I would say, which is a mm. bit of a strange word, but I actually really love that word because I, I personally think it's misfits that um, bring new perspectives to the world, right? So I call it the power of misfits, <laughs> of being the, the minority. Power of misfits. Exactly. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Like, love it. The power of misfits. <laughs> I love the minority it. in the room or the different one in the room. Abs like, absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's and actually you the know first what? time I've said that out loud to someone. But, uh... <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Thank you for trusting me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is so interesting that you say that because, like, That's how I deal with it as well. Like, of course, I'm like, sometimes I tell to myself or others, like, I'm Mexican woman. And it's not about being a Mexican woman. It's I have a very bubbly and warm personality. And that and the banking industry, it's just different, right? And then in the UK, I go to work with male British men with a more of a dry, <laughs> like, stereotype type of personality and then here I come like oh Mexican woman bubbly <laughs> and then it was until maybe two years ago or three years ago it was not that long ago that I made that change in mindset and it was while I was in Malaysia that it was not just that I was the only one in the room let's say compared to the UK 
but I was in a different continent altogether, like clash of culture, different religion. Like it was so different, like so different to what I was used to working style. Like everything was so different. And I was struggling a lot with that at the beginning. And at some point I, I reached out to one of my mentors and through a conversation with him, I kind of realized that being different was the, was the thing that made me add value. So my difference makes me unique. And that's why I add value. And it's the same thing that you're saying, that it's like the power of misfit. I yeah. didn't know other people thought like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to hear like your experience also. Because that's exactly what I'm describing, right? It's that difference. It's that different perspective. It's those different strengths. And it makes you stand out also, right? So it's that power. And you might feel like a misfit, fit, but it's about how to change that into a position of power to me. And, mm. and it's an ongoing journey. Like, it's a change in mindset yeah. for me. Uh, as you mentioned, like, talking to your mentor, like, it's also taken me a long time to to allow myself essentially not to try to fit in but to to use those differences as strengths oh wow how i'm like how did you do that oh <laughs> i mean I, i'm not that's saying a that difficult question. <laughs> that's a difficult question that's a difficult question how I mean, are you I, trying I to do that <laughs> yeah well how am i trying to do that i guess is a better <laughs> better yeah phasing. that's a better um, question <laughs> Um, but I, I think there's there's many things like, for example, right now, um, I, I mean, even in the past, I've mostly work, worked in places where I don't speak the language there. Um, mm. And so when I'm doing field work, uh, I'm often reliant on translations or most of the time, actually, I'm just observing. And I actually find mm. that really brilliant because without the language and understanding what people are seeing, I can really look at expressions. I, I can look at where yes. they're putting their hands and their gestures and, and try to infer things that way. And then afterwards, I can confirm with my colleagues that I actually understood what was going on. Um, but I, I found that, you know, initially it would seem like really quite a disadvantage, right? But I actually find that it's um, an advantage at the end because it helps me really... Um, focus on understanding um, the person who is speaking without their words and understanding their body language. So so that's a very small example in how something that to me seems like a complete disadvantage um, could be turned into an advantage. That's beautiful. And like you say, it's, it's a journey. It's an ongoing thing. <laughs> it's not like, oh, now I know how to do it. <laughs> no, it's situational. Yeah. It's like there's so many things involved. Yeah, it's definitely ongoing. And I think we all have a lot of powers and, and strengths that we don't realize, actually. And when we don't realize them, when we don't verbalize and name them, they actually have less power. So part of it is also focusing on on naming and, and finding those those um, strengths that you have within you and then remembering to use them the next time and remembering to use them as strengths. Like, that is so powerful. <laughs> I'm like... Every every person in the planet should listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I I was talking to to a mentor also right and um, he's like oh so how do, would you describe your personality and one thing that I came to, came up with at that time I was having a really hard time at work and so I was like I'm just stubborn and that's causing a lot mm. of trouble and mm. my my mentor was like well the other way to explain 
what stubborn is, is just determined. Determined. Yeah, that's what came to my mind. I'm like, no, you were determined. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I mean, it's it's a, basically describing the same thing, but from a very different angle. All right. Um, and I, I always remember that. So um, this kind of reframing I try to do when I can, um, like when I have negative kind of thoughts running through my mind or, or um, you know, negative feelings about what's happening right now, I would try to slow down and reframe them and asking what's really happening. Um, is it is it actually this negative way I'm looking at this or is there a positive way we can look at this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important, like reframing. Because I also I also saw in your LinkedIn that you're also a coach. You've worked like you've done some coaching work as well. So it's like you know and I found that very interesting that it's like many entrepreneurs are also into coaching. And it makes me wonder the relationship between mind mindset managing emotions and being able to run a business probably the relationship is super high <laughs> because reframing is so important that's absolutely right and reframing is what i learned through my coach so i'm not a coach myself i would love to become one one day um yeah but i was very fortunate and i and i encourage everyone to apply to this program it's available to women everywhere especially for women and impact um and they're called mm. the, the coaching fellowship Um, and they yep. provide very professional coaching at a very discounted price. And I, I honestly would not have survived COVID and, and the first few years of our startup without going through that process with my coach. Because there, there yes. are so many things that I think were barriers I set up for myself. Um, and through coaching, mm. uh, you, you find ways to reframe them. You find ways to look yeah. at them differently. Um, and also to really start believing in our, your own ability and power and i think that's what sets apart coaching and mentoring right coaching the coach their job is to help you realize like what you have within you is already enough and how to you build that and, and let that out yes that is beautiful and i agree with you like especially now that you touch covid like same covid and being in startup tech fintech industry many times i'm like well i've been able to do what i've been able to do Because I have a background in coaching and I hire coaches. <laughs> That's it. Otherwise, I could have given up a very long time ago. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't know that. Um, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So do you coach people? Um, yes. I, I kind of like stopped coaching when I, when I joined my first fintech just because it was a lot. But before that, I, I was coaching. Uh, I like working with women mainly. Uh, so I was coaching women back then in London, then joined the first fintech and I stopped, then moved to Malaysia and I stopped. But then as part of COVID, and me going a little bit like about to go crazy, was like, I need to reconnect with my passions. And one of my passions is like body, mind, spirit, you know, like all that connection and personal development. So I was like, oh, maybe I should like start this again. So now I've been doing a mix of kind of mentoring, coaching, uh, pro bono, and eventually that, that will evolve into something. But yeah, oh, it's just so like to reconnect to that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's been good. And, yeah. and it's fascinating to speak with these ladies. Like most, most of the ladies that I'm working with, actually, they are, they work in fintech. All, all of the ages, all the degrees, disciplines, like, and it's, fascinating to see the challenges that they face when they are 23 years old and then they look at me and they say is it going to be like this forever 
I'm like, yes, that's why we need to do the work and change. Yes, that's why yeah. you know it will it will not be like that if we change it now in twenty years. <laughs> Exactly, 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 exactly. Like, actually, that's such a good point. Like, I had a guest in the in the podcast like a few weeks ago, and she's a lady that used to work in banking. She's now retired. And when she told me her story, uh, she ended up in banking because that's what her dad decided for her. Many, like, you know, like 40, 50 years ago, she did not have a choice. Like, her dad found a job for her and that's what she had to do. And I was like, oh, wow, I cannot even imagine a world where my dad decides for me which career I should go for or not. And that made me think, oh, that is so powerful. It's good that those ladies back then, you know, they did the work to change the world, basically. And then it's up to our generation. When I think of my niece, I have a five month um old niece and I'm like in like 30 years when she's like a proper grown-up working she should not have to worry about the you know like all the issues in the workplace and gender gap like pay gap all those things should be like part of the past so hopefully in, th in 20 30 years things will change <laughs> yeah I definitely agree with that and I really hope so like I I think you know, I've noticed an, a noticeable shift, <laughs> even within the last 10 years, right? So I really hope that momentum will just keep growing um, and that it would really change. But I, I really believe in that. I think part of when I more identified as a social activist, that is part of it. And I believe like I have a lot of privileges in life, um, but mm -hmm. a lot of it was was fought for by other people. Um, I think yes. back to my grandmother, like all of my grandparents, they were refugees, like after a war, um, and they came to a new place to start their life completely. Like, I think my grandma was 14. And she had like shoes <laughs> on her and nothing else. Like she came to Hong Kong um, during during the war. Um, and, and she's illiterate, but somehow she managed to build a life for her nine children, even after her husband passed away. And I still remember she mentioned like, oh, you know, part of it was really helpful because I started a savings club. So she learned how to start a savings club and um, together, essentially with other families and mainly women, they, they would save up and then they would lend it out to one member at a time. You know, it's a very, very common revolving savings club. Um, and that was partly how she got through and was able to build her new life. And I often think about that. I'm like, wow. You know, if grandma can do that at that time, you know, uh, we can make life better for a lot of people. Um, yes, for the future. Definitely. De definitely. So that's such a powerful kind of background as well. Uh, what if you think like 10, 20 years from now, what do you want your legacy to be? As in, yeah, in the past, not legacy, but, you know, in the past 10 or 20 years, I made a difference because of ABCD, especially if you are a social activist. There must be a lot of uh, very interesting thinking in there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I would love the world to be very, very different and, and for the better, of course. Um, but I think more specifically, that is actually why um, 
I had a lot of determination to start Alloy because I really mm. wanted to take what I learned in the 10 years working in development um, and channeling it into something that I really think could could change fundamentally how we do um, financing, especially for um, people who are not currently financially included. So I think my legacy is I would just want to see a lot of, a lot, like millions <laughs> and the millions level of, of smiles from women entrepreneurs um, who are able to really build up their own businesses and really build vibrant, vibrant grassroots economies. So that that is what I would love to see in, in 20 years, <laughs> partially related to the efforts we have at, at Alloy. Yes. Oh, that is such a beautiful vision and legacy. And the beauty is that there's like so many people contributing now towards that vision, yeah. which makes it more feasible. Absolutely. Like we cannot do this alone, actually. Like we, I really don't think we can change the world and make it better on our, by ourselves. Like, but I really believe in using the best of what we know um, and, and doing the part that we can do best. And, and I guess part of it is finding what do we best know and which part can we do best. Mm. Yes. It's like, yeah, actually, that's very good advice. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah I was which listening part do to... we know? Where can we contribute? Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to this um, this other podcast, actually, uh, and they asked uh, people to think at the intersection of three things. Like, what do you love? What are you good at doing? Um, and, and where do you want to make the most impact? And and I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> that's that's exactly what we each need to find in order to to really, um, you know, for your niece in 20 years, what would the world become? Yes, and that's such a good trio of questions. Because if we, what do you love? If we don't love what we do, eventually with all the challenges, everybody has like setbacks, every business has setbacks. So, and it's hard work most of the times. So it's like, if you don't really love it, then... Like, why are you doing this in the first place? It's like torture. <laughs> so it's yeah. important to bring that to the conversation. Like, you love it, you're good at it, and impact. Rather than, there's another framework that it's like, do what you love, what you're good at, what the, what the market needs, and that the market will pay for. Right. And okay. I love that in your framework, like, what the market needs and what the, the, what the market will pay for has been reframed into what you love, your skill sets, and the biggest impact. Because if it has impact, then people need it. And then eventually you could have the financial rewards as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that's, um, it's very key, I think, because a lot of people think impact and, and profits can't go together, right? Um, and I think the, the, generation of social entrepreneurs are trying to say no actually you know those two billion are still customers they still live they still participate in the economy even if they're financially excluded so um, how do we help them participate more in the economy um, in a way that suits them and services them but at the same time also see them as like really valuable clients um, and it's it's a hard you know it's it's a hard question I'm not saying it's something easy to figure out but if we don't figure out these questions, um, then then we will never be able to find models that, that service them. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. It all starts with the thinking, questioning ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. So it's like we've gone a lot into the detail of the mindset. I love that. <laughs> and like problems that we can face. What are the what what are the highlights of doing what you do? Like what gives you like that satisfaction? Because it's both, right? Like you have the challenges and the mindset and the growth, but there's something deep inside that you're like, I wake up because of this. I, I do this work because of this and that keeps you going what is that thing for you oh there's so many i mean just seeing our our team grow is is super exciting but i think the thing that makes our whole team the most excited is when we're actually being able to help women entrepreneurs uh get loans um and to get loans that they generally would not have been able to otherwise um, an example is one of our products works in Um, this very unique electric uh, bus sector in Kathmandu. It's actually a very old sector. So um, Nepal was one of the green un uh, pioneers 25, 30 years ago when they built this fleet of 700 electric buses. Um, but some of these buses, because of the newer technologies, uh, especially for lithium-ion batteries, it's just uh, beyond their ability to buy it because um, it's beyond the limit of what microfinances would fund. Um, so... So uh, very recently, we were able to help uh, start a new loan that is very low interest uh, in partnership with a, with, with a larger bank um, to, to give out these loans for the lithium ion batteries at very reduced interest rates um, digitally. So that was a day of, of celebration. We were just like after months and months of working towards to it, right? Um, being able to see that um, and, and truly finding a way to, to help people um, such as these women entrepreneurs be able to to continue their business. Actually, it's super interesting because they've been driving these buses and they've been buying the old style lead acid batteries. So they are actually really good entrepreneurs. We know they're able to repay these loans, but somehow it was so hard for them to get financing that was beyond the bracket of what's allowed for microfinances. So yeah, like we found this like unique opportunity in the market and we you know worked hard to try to make the connections. Um, and in the end, it really resulted in something I think has a lot of impact, uh, not just for the women, not just for business, but also for the air and for the environment and really, really amazing um, uh, to celebrate for as a team that day. Awesome. Oh, and you just touched like a beautiful word that I like a lot. Celebrate. Like celebration is so important. What's the role of celebration in building a company? <laughs> That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I think it's so key. Um, I remember one thing very distinctly when Sonica and I were in, in Silicon Valley and during that course where we met, um, one of the companies decided to end during the incubator program. And then they brought out like all the food and, and music and celebrated that failure. And they were like, yeah, you know, like we should celebrate failure also because it means that you made movement. And even though the results were negative, you still learned and you made that movement, right? You tried. And I, I think that is like something that really stuck in my mind. Like I always heard that Silicon Valley, oh, celebrate failure, but like actually seeing that and being there, um, like really changed the mindset about what is worth celebrating. And I think that's something that 
every organization, not just company, should be asking. And every person should be asking, like, what you should be celebrating in your life. Like, I think now I'm trying to celebrate, like, when I'm feeling uncomfortable and I have to go, like, go on stage and do some new thing, right? Um, but, like, I'm celebrating that uncomfortableness because it means I'm growing as a person. So I, uh, we hope to, you know, really bring that within our team also to, to celebrate all of that. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love, like, most of the times I focus on celebrating the micro actions that I call them, right? It's like, oh, today I did this. It's like, yeah, 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 that was good. But I hadn't stopped to think about celebrating the failures. Yeah. yeah. And it's Because a real change then in that mindset. means that I've, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I yeah, mean, thank you, Coach yeah. Tiffany. Oh, no, oh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's something I'm trying to do because, you know, it's hard to erase so many years of training since you were a kid, right? You're taught what is to celebrate and what not, right? Um, yes. But it's very hard to erase that training and those automatic habits and, and, and ways that we've done things. So it really is like every day I have to think about, okay, what did I learn today and what can I celebrate? And I, I think that's that's a constant process. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you are on learning in addition to learning? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Coach Monica. <laughs> oh, what am I unlearning? So, I mean, I obviously have a lot of bad habits. Um, I also uh, have a failed startup. Let's call it what it is, right? When I'm my first startup in Tanzania, um, So I, I exited after two years and um, uh, not not like the buyout kind of exits. I just left <laughs> left the company. Um, and to me, at the time, it really felt like a failure. So I spent a lot of time digesting that experience. And more and more, I'm seeing it. If it weren't for that, I never would be here today. I never would have started another company. I never would have known like what are the common things when starting a new company. Um, And I think because of that, uh, I had to unlearn a lot of I hold habits. And and thanks to my thanks to my coach, also like a lot of a lot of reflection in terms of what are my habits and are these good things that I want to keep. And and maybe if it's not, then I need to need to learn to go around them. Because we're I think we all come with certain personalities. I'm actually a very detailed oriented person, um, and that you know, uh, it has really good things and a really bad things. <laughs> and so, you know, I have to try to take the good and, and not to do the bad so much to unlearn the bad side of it. Yeah, I'm like, that's very wise. Yes. And it's like, yeah, we can learn from every, like every failure, because because of that failure, it gave us lessons to be smarter the next time. Yes. Absolutely. I really, yeah. really believe that, um, you know, when they say you, you have to be at your third startup, like the first two are just like just trials. <laughs> It's your third style startup that's going to take off. And I'm like, oh, should I count like, as my second startup or can I not yes. count that? <laughs> yes, please. You're like, really? Three? It's a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, it's so oh, much wow. work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> But it's like the third one. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't oh. know who said it. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. not actually true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I have a, I have a personal question. I guess, like from my side, as in founder. What made you become a founder? 
And what's the difference? Like one of my mentors, when I first joined FinTech, he was like, you don't have to be the founder and the CEO to be an entrepreneur. And then it's like, and part of me, it's like, oh, do I ever want to be a founder? And I'm like, well, if I have to do all that fundraising stuff, probably not. <laughs> Who knows, right? But it's like, what the, the, the responsibility that comes with being a founder is huge. What made you like take the leap and then just be like, yeah, I'm going to be a founder rather than I'm going to join another CEO to build this, which is different. Yeah, it's very different. I've also never been asked that question. <laughs> um, I think to me, it wasn't so much a choice because I think the seed of alloy had been like rumbling around my brain for so long that I just felt like I had to try it out. Like I, I really mm. believed in the idea and I, I really felt like we just had to do a pilot to to prove it. Um, and so there wasn't much choice because it was the idea that was driving it and there was no other company I could find that I could join that was doing similar things. So yeah, it kind of, by default, you had to be the person who started it. And I don't know even if I thought of myself as a founder, that specific word, it was just like, I have to start this and I have to go and try it out. Um, so yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful because probably it was just, uh, you started a project at some point and then it continued to evolve into an amazing company that is today rather than I'm going to set myself to become the largest fintech. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still want that. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think initially I was just like, oh, if I can just convince someone to give me like a consultancy to try this, that would be great. Like, <laughs> you know, like I think oh. at one point I thought about that, but then I realized, you know, you haven't built the tech, you haven't proven anything. No one's going to give you that. So I was just like, okay, then we'll we'll start and build the tech and do a small pilot, like you know, and then um, that's that's how it started. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing, and that is kind of like inspiring for everyone listening. That it's like, yeah, you don't have to get started with the big plan. It's a okay, cool. Where can I start? Yeah, and I really believe in that. Like, if you have a passion, if you have an idea rattling around your head, that won't leave you alone start where you are, you know, like entrepreneur, right? Like do where you go, where you want to go, regardless of what resources you have. So yeah, start yeah. where you are, do it after work, do it, um, you know, on the weekends or, or find people who, who might be able to work with you um, and find organizations to partner with. It doesn't mean you have to start a company. I really, I really think that's a, that's a choice, um, but you can always start your idea. I love that. Like, you don't have to start a company, but yes, you can start your idea. Yes. Get it moving. Get Yeah, just get it moving. Like, if you made one step this week, that's a success. Um, and, you know, you, may, you might want to turn it full time. Like, that's a really big, <laughs> big commitment. And as you say, like, raising funds is not easy. Managing, you know, something to start from, from scratch is not easy. But... Um, you know, that's not the only format we can make uh, make things happen in the world. So, um, you know, once you start, I think those those different ways will just like automatically show them to you and you can choose the one that you want the most. Yes. Oh, that's such beautiful advice. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been like lovely having a chat with you. 
Um, as we reach towards the end, uh, which other final remarks could you have for the ladies listening? I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> I would love to hear your stories. Uh, I want to be inspired by you um, and especially women in fintech and women everywhere in general. I think we it's it's our time now. <laughs> so, uh, you yes. know, yeah, let's let's do it and let's make the world, you know, in 20 years really lovely for Monica's niece and everyone else. <laughs> yes, for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank thank you so much, Tiffany. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you uh, in the show. Ladies, do re-listen. There were like absolute golden nuggets in there. Uh, just re-listen and find something that resonates with you today and just like play with that idea. In the meantime, like enjoy have a lovely week and i'll speak with you all again next week thank you tiffany and ladies see you next week bye